This is a production from The Companion. Sci-fi served fresh. Welcome to The Companion Podcast. I'm your host, Lawrence Cow, and this is my co-host, Rebecca Davis. Hello, Rebecca. Hello again, Lawrence. Now, today we have another fan favorite franchise in Star Trek The Next Generation and a guest, Marina Sirtis. Now, if you don't know Marina Sirtis, the actress or the person, and you only know her as Deanna Troy, her on-screen character, this episode is going to really blow your mind. Can you can you describe that for me, Rebecca? Sure. Uh, I remember because I had that blow your mind moment very early in my Star Trek fandom. Uh, Counselor Troy was never a favorite of mine because of that softness that she had or just the empathy thing. It just didn't really grab me. You're just but not into empathy. I'm just apparently I'm not <laughs> yeah. into empathy. I, I, I hear you. But Marina herself is so different as far as everything about her. It's just polar opposite. I remember I saw her at one of my very first ever Star Trek conventions, like probably the second one I had ever been to. And just how different she was. And this really stands out in this interview too, though. She's unapologetic. She's loud. She's no holds barred. That's Marina Sirtis. She's, uh, she will follow through on the threats that she makes. Um, two really good examples that I think are touched on in this episode, actually. She mentioned not doing a convention anymore in any state where abortion rights are banned or nearly banned. And she seems to be following through with that. And then she left Twitter. And if you look for Marina Sirtis on Twitter right now, you will not find her. So she does what she says she's going to do. That being said, this interview was so interesting as well, because she did show some vulnerability in a few different moments, and especially when talking about the Queen. Yeah, wasn't it crazy? Because the interview was, you know, scheduled you know, a week or a couple weeks in advance. And it literally ended up being the day after the announcement of the Queen. I think like less than 12 hours had passed. And so all of us living here in the UK, I guess not you, Rebecca, but us, we were all processing it live. Marina was processing it live. And I guess we were just like all processing it live during the interview, whether you were speaking or you were behind the camera. Mm-hmm. That that is, yeah, that it was it was wild. You know, people are gonna watch this and they're gonna go, Jesus Christ, she never stops crying. Honestly, <laughs> it's you know what? Honestly, it's a good way to get to know you better, right? That's the kind of the point of this is we're we're boldly asking you to be you, more or less, okay. right? All right. Well, that that'll be a lot of people turning off their TV sets anyway. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of my podcast, To Boldly Ask. Our goal here at The Companion and To Boldly Ask is to ask our questions they've never been asked before or have rarely been asked, and then to dig even deeper into their answers. You can surely sense my excitement about my guest today. It is my honor and your honor to connect with Marina Sirtis. Marina, thank you so much for joining us today on To Boldly Ask. Hi, Ian. How Ian, are you? Now, I, have to, I have to ask you something before we start. Oh, God, here we for go. A writer, for a writer, that was a really good speech. Did you have it written down or did, was that just ad-libbed? Uh, both is the honest okay. answer. I, I have notes and I then ad-lib a little bit. Excellent work. There you go. Thank you. 
So let me start with the Deanna Troy question, which is she has been a part of your life for 35 years now. At this point, how much of Deanna is Marina and how much of Marina is Deanna? Um, the only thing that Deanna and Marina have in common is we're the same height. That's it. That's really? It. Yeah. We are opposites. We are total opposites. She's kind and non-judgmental. And I am mean and judgmental. And um, she's very tactful. I'm not. I open my mouth and put my size tens in with alarming regularity. Um, yeah, I, 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 uh, the challenge in playing Deanna was to keep Marin, Marina out of her. Hmm. And how about the other way around? Has there been a challenge in keeping Deanna out of Marina? Or has that been super no. easy? Well, no, I wish actually, I wish it worked that way, Ian. But unfortunately, playing a character doesn't actually by osmosis make you become that person. I'm not a method actress. Well, I am a method. I have my own method. I learn my lines, I hit my marks, and I try not to bump into the furniture. And if it was, <laughs> and if it was good enough for Spencer Tracy, it's good enough for me. She was so soft-spoken and most definitely not British. Uh, you're, you're fiery and British of Greek descent, of course. Whose idea was it? for you to change the accents and to speak so soothingly as Deanna. Okay, and did well, you agree with it? Well, first of all, um, we have to go back, you know, back to the beginning when I was auditioning. People that don't know, that only know me from the show. I mean, when they meet me, they're like, their mouths are hanging on their knees because they're like, oh my God, you're a cockney. And <laughs> what? And they say, and they say, why didn't you talk like that on the show? I said, because I wouldn't have to come with subtitles. There you go. What would you be doing if you were not an actor? I would probably be a trial attorney. Was that something you were aiming for? No, but um, that's what my mum wanted me to be. My mum wanted me to be a lawyer. Um, and I suppose if I, hadn't, if I hadn't got into drama school, if it didn't pan out for me, um, I think a trial lawyer is an actor. I mean, when you're, you know, making your closing arguments, opening arguments. I mean, usually, the, you know, the person who wins are the, is the person that the jury like the most. You know, so um, that would have been a way of acting without actually acting. Huh. So, what did your mom think of you as an actor? When I said to my mom, "Mom, I'm going to be an actress," what she heard was, "Mom, I'm going to be a prostitute." <laughs> and what did she say when you played a prostitute? Uh, she, I don't think she ever saw me in anything. I really, I mean, I don't think until Star Trek happened that she ever saw me in. I mean, my mum was so, well, disappointed is not a strong enough word to describe how she felt about me. Um, I mean, when I was doing theatre, the family would come on a Sunday because in England, that's when we're dark. So she'd never have to see me act. Some people feel that sports figures should play their game, rock stars should rock out, and actors should act, and otherwise shut the fuck up. You right. spoke in your mind. How often has that gotten you in trouble? Well, it gets me in trouble, but my feeling is, um, if you take that theory to its ultimate conclusion and logical conclusion, that means electricians should only do electrics, Plumbers should only plumb, um, you know, uh, I don't know, lorry drivers or semi drivers in America should only do that. So the only people who would be allowed to talk about politics would be politicians. And that's ridiculous. 
So you know what? If you don't like my opinions, you can turn me off. And I do have to say at this point, all you people who send me a lot of hate, I don't read it. And if you actually think that I care what total strangers think of me, then you are delusional. People have always spoken about me behind my back because I was a rebellious Greek girl in North London. And so all the neighbors always talked about me behind my back. It was one of the banes of my mother's existence that I was the bad girl in the neighborhood. I don't care what people say about me. The people that I love, love me back. And that's all that matters. And the rest is just noise and you can just go F off. So where did the outspokenness come from? Were you encouraged to speak up? Was it a reaction to being told not to speak up or was it just your personality? Well, personality, Aries through and through. No doubt. Uh, yeah, I'm an Aries. Um, I lived in a house where I didn't have an opinion or my opinion didn't count. So I, I grew a voice. I grew a voice and I will never ever let that voice be quieted because I earned it. And what was the fight like with your mom? Oh, blimey. We started arguing when I popped out the womb and we never stopped. We just did not get on. We, um, she, my mother was a misery loves company kind of person. She'd had a horrible life and she wanted me to have an equally horrible life so that I would, you know, relate and sympathize with her. Unfortunately, she got me and I was like, I don't care what happened <laughs> to you. Sorry, mum, but this is my life and I'm going to do what I want. And where was your dad in all of this? My dad was, uh, go, leave it to let the women deal with this. He was like, keeping out. <laughs> let them fight it out themselves? <laughs> but was he proud of you as an actor and a person? Yes, he was. Yes, he was. My dad, actually, when he was in Greece, was an extra in movies. Really? Yeah. So when I said I wanted to be an actress, he kind of, what, quietly, secretly, um, didn't encourage me, but he didn't discourage me, let's put it that way. And then what sort of impact do you think your mom had on you as an actor in terms of, especially in something like a Deanna who was such a soothing character? Was there a yeah. relief in playing that kind of a character? Yeah, because I, I have been, you know, kind of angry all my life. <laughs> I, walk around in a, I walk around in a state of permanent rage. Um, <laughs> I think, do you know what? I think that uh, I was in therapy for a while and the first thing that came out of my mouth was, I know this is all about my mother, but she has made me who I am and I like who I am. Mm. And I am strong because I had to be strong because otherwise I would have been engulfed. Good for you. Now you have said, speaking of speaking your mind, that you will not attend conventions in the US in any state where abortions are banned. That's, that's, what, what, that's yeah, what we call absolutely. in the States, putting your money where your mouth is. How big a decision was that for you, not just to do it, but to publicly explicitly say it and back it up? No brainer, Ian, absolute no brainer. First of all, you know, I lived in America for half my life. I lived in America for 35 years, more than half my life. So, and I'm an American citizen, so I have an opinion and I'm allowed to have an opinion. 
the minute the Dodds ruling came down, I knew I would never set foot in, the, in a state that had banned abortion. I will not even change planes in a state that's banned abortion because I will not even buy a cup of coffee in those states because I will not be complicit. Why are you so passionate about abortion and abortion rights? Because no man has the right to tell me what I can and can't do with my body. And also, there are six white people in Washington who are not elected, who are appointed, who are going against the wishes of 70% of the American public, not only with the abortion issue, but with the gun issue. That is not democracy. That's authoritarianism. And I've worked myself up into a frenzy again. <laughs> Understood. Now, speaking of England, after your husband, after your Michael passed away, you returned to England. How fulfilling personally and professionally has that been to go back home? Well, professionally, I haven't really done that much since I've come back. Um, I don't think people know I'm back. I mean, I arrived in the middle of a pandemic, so, you know, it was it was very different. Um, I personally, I couldn't be happier. I Why? couldn't be happier. I mean, I, I was joking about being in a state of constant rage. I actually, when I lived in America, that was actually true. I was in a state of constant rage um, because of everything that was happening. So, uh, you know, people say, you know, I came back to England. I try to keep reminding myself that what, what's happening over there isn't my problem anymore, but I can't switch off. I, like I said, you can't live in a country for 35 years and then not care about what happens to it just because you, you're on the other side of the pond. And, and my friends and people that I love. Um, however, I don't think I ever really fit in in Los Angeles. I mean, I fit in as much as I love shopping at Gucci. That part I fit in, mm -hmm. right? Um, well, I did when Tom Ford was designing, let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, and, um, but Americans aren't like me. They're not loud and obnoxious. They don't like confrontation. Um, I love a confrontation. It gets my adrenaline going, it gets me all fired up, um, gets my juices flowing. Um, but I found Americans try to avoid a fight. Maybe this is part of the leftovers and being a football hooligan when I was young, but I love a fight. <laughs> and so I never really felt that I fit in in LA. I wasn't the right fit for it. And London is the fit. Oh, blimey. Football, sausages, great sausage rolls. I am in heaven. <laughs> All right. Speaking of fans, you're a massive Tottenham Hotspurs fan, if I'm not mistaken. What are your rituals around games? Do you rub your tattoo for luck? Uh, what Spurs merch do you own? Give us, give us the Spurs scoop. Well, I have a Spurs, I actually have a Spurs shirt with my name on it that was sent to me by the club when they figured out, you know, who I was and that I was a mad Spurs fan. Um, in fact, I was at a convention this weekend in Birmingham and there were, there, I guess for, for, Spurs, for football fans, other people won't know what I'm talking about, but anyway, bear with us, you know, talk about yourselves. Um, Glenn Hoddle, <laughs> Ledley King, Mickey Hazard, Jeff Hurst, these people, Ozzy Ardili. So there's four, four Spurs players right there. I said to my fans, if I'm not at my table, come to the football section. That's where I'll be. Um, I don't have rituals. Uh, oh, apart from I always put my right shoe on first. 
because the player that I was in love with when I was young, he said that once in an interview, joking here, and I started doing it and now I'm too superstitious to stop. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How much does your Spurs fandom help you understand Star Trek fandom? Uh, totally 100%. 100%. When I met Glenn Hoddle, I mean, when <laughs> Glenn Hoddle is like the king of football in, in my eyes. And when I met Glenn Hoddle, uh, I literally, it was like verbal diarrhea. I just, I love that, 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 yeah. Uh, I, I kind of, well, uh, uh, well, you know, uh, my first match was Jimmy Green's testimonial. And as I'm saying it, I'm like, why, why are you saying that is why? Shut up, Marina. Be sensible. <laughs> so, and um, bless him, he had no clue who I was. Um, and so his handler then explained to him who I was. And so then he came by, you know. But anyway, um, yeah, my Spurs, when I got my Spurs tattoo, my husband, God rest him, said, First of all, he said, because I got it on my 57th birthday. I mean, so it wasn't like, you know, I was young. Um, and he said, you are nut." He goes, you have lost your mind. People get tattoos in their 20s, not in their 50s. And I said, well, when I was in my 20s, only biker chicks had tattoos. So, you know, right. And so he said, well, what did you get? And I said, well, I got my spurs. You, know, you love that team more than you love me. And I said, no, darling, I've just loved them longer. I've loved you for 30 years. I've loved them for 50. So they get the first tattoo. Good for you. That's awesome. All right. Now let's talk Star Trek for a minute. Fans are itching for scoop about season three of Picard. And I know you're about to give me none uh, since everything is top secret. But I do think it's fair to at least ask how you enjoyed reuniting with your TNG cast for something other than a convention, a funeral right. or a wedding. So right. take me through that. Well, I was really excited, I have to be honest, because, I, you know, you've heard me talk about the past and how, how we just, we were so bad. We were so badly behaved that we had so much fun, right? That was the thing about being bad, you have fun. Um, we've grown up. We've grown up. It's 30 years later. We're not as uh, ridiculous as we used to be. We're much more calm. Okay. Oh, okay, let's... Yeah. Oh, you're upside, your mic's upside down. <laughs> It's his first time. Yeah. Are you sure? Yes, yeah. first yeah. time on camera. Sounds better that way. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry. Oh, no. Our fearless leader. I didn't. <laughs> He's very old. He's very old. What happened to respect exactly? It that's, used to that, be Sir a, Patrick Stewart. That's the Picard cast, not us. Okay. Right. Okay. Well, how's it going so far? Sir? Okay. <laughs> Great. The first day I worked. Um, and the other, th and so it wasn't, it wasn't bad, it was just different. It was just a different experience. Um, and one of the main differences was, and I did chastise my friends about this, was the phones. They never came out from behind their phones. And I was like, guys, I've come all the way from England to see you and you can't even come out from behind your phone. <laughs> what are you, 12? You know, so- uh, Did they I put did the phones down when you said that? Oh, oh yeah, because they are scared of me. You have to remember everyone's scared of me, so. Let's talk about uh, Lower Decks. How much fun did you have doing that? How I mean, look at look at this image. How adorable is that? I know, and also, and also, you know, it's a bit, it's it's racy, isn't it? It's uh, it's um, it's not your normal, you know, Star Trek. I, you know, Star Trek has evolved into so many different things. You know, um, I mean, there used to be an animated show of the original. If I'm mm -hmm. not wrong, yes. right? 
but they kind of stuck to the tried and true in that. I think the fact that now you have, you have lower decks, you have Kate doing her animated show. I mean, there are so many offshoots. Um, personally, I love it because everything that keeps the franchise alive helps all of us. We all benefit. So um, I love Lower Decks. I, I, I think it's, uh, you know, it's laugh out loud, something funny sometimes, you know, so I think that's very rare on Star Trek. And then talk to me about this specific episode. Were you and Jonathan at least able to see each other on Zoom or did you record separately? And did Mike McMahon or somebody else come to your, your house? No, no. I All think remote. I, I, I can't eat, do you know what? I have menopause brain. I'm sorry, I really can't remember where we did it. Well, I'll give you an example, right? I did a movie a few years ago and it, they only just got it released. It took years to get, um, to get distribution for it. And when they finally did, they asked me to do some publicity. And I said to my manager, oh, I'd be glad to do it. I just need the name of the character and the synopsis of the movie. I literally could not remember a minute of it. So the menopause has done terrible things to my brain, Ian, and all these younger <laughs> women watching going, oh, she's just getting, you know, seen up. No, it's the menopause. And, you know, in 20 years time, when you lot are going through it, you'll be going, Marina, God rest her. She was right. She told me. <laughs> all right. When you were a kid, who and what else were you a fan of? Well, I love TV. I love TV. Oh, I make, Brent and I used to joke about this, that when we weren't on TV, we were watching TV. The two actresses, because we could call them actresses back then, were um, Betty Davis and Greta Garbo. Tell me why. Because they were just mesmerizing in different ways. I loved Betty Davis for her strength and I loved Greta Garbo for her subtlety. Mm. Um, and now I think Meryl Streep, you know, is, is in, you know, in that, in that um, group as well. But um, I just loved watching acting. TV was my escape, absolutely my escape when I was young. I didn't have a happy childhood. And so I escaped into the television. And so I loved TV, loved it then, love it still. I think we're in a golden age of television right now. I really do. There's so much fantastic stuff. And I love British television because it's female driven. It's about, it's by women, for women. I mean, not just, but the, they're mainly female producers, directors, writers, you know? And that is the main difference between American TV and British TV. Um, I mean, I worked in America for 35 years. I only worked with two female directors in all that time. Now, someone we saw a lot of on TV in the past, in the recent past has been Queen Elizabeth for obvious reasons. Elton John said at a concert the other night, he's 75 and he's never known a world without the queen. What, what did she mean to you? I didn't realize how much she meant to me until yesterday. And I swear, I can't, I actually haven't been able to stop crying. Um, I'm a royalist, I make, no, I make no bones, I make, I don't apologize. I'm a royalist through and through. I love the royal family. I love my country and I love the royal family. And I think that that woman was such an example. She, she didn't put a foot wrong. In 70 years, she didn't put a foot wrong. And you know, during that whole Diana time, the Diana's death time, when she was getting the hate, 
you know, a lot of hate. And she still stood, she, she did it with grace and dignity and the don't explain, don't mm -hmm. complain, you know, her, her mantra, um, I, I think was, um, well, she lived up to that. And she, she was the bedrock of this country. Whatever happened, whatever went down, you, it was like she was just like the touchstone. And uh, I don't, well, I'm, I'm talking actually in cliches now, but there'll never be another. Right. How strange, how strange will it be to say, God save the king? Well, that jarred actually, I have to be honest, when I first said it last night. Um, I have met Prince, oh gosh, I have to call him King Charles. I have met King Charles. Um, he was my, oh, not my date, actually, I was his date. I was his official <laughs> escort. <laughs> I was his official escort for the premiere of um, First Contact. And we chatted, you know, he chatted before, you know, during the opening credits, he chats. Um, I don't think he was a Star Trek fan. At one point he went, what's going on? <laughs> Is anyway, um, so I have met him and he was lovely and I think he's gonna make a great king because I think he truly like his mother cares and loves this country and wants to, um, wants to take it forward. Is there something in the royal family that reminds you of your own roots in the UK? Uh, no, because my, you know, I'm first generation. Oh, apparently in England, I'm second generation, but in America, I'm first generation. Um, you know, my parents were Greek. They only arrived in England three months before I was born. So there was a part of me, there is a strong part of me that feels very strongly um, attached to my Greek roots, you know, uh, because honestly, my personality is way more Greek than it is English, you know, let's be honest. Um, so, there is a bit of a split there, but um, I, I relate more to Greece now than I ever did when I was young, because I was, I think like most first generation children, I was, I was actually more patriotic than my English friends. At conventions and in interviews, you often refer to Sir Patrick as old baldy. I've always wondered, yeah. have you ever called him that to his face? And how did it go if you did? Of <laughs> I meant in private, not at a Star Trek convention. Do you I literally say it to his I face? I call him old Baldy all the time. Yes, to his face. I'm and how does that go? One, I'm probably the only one who can get away with it, but uh, I do. I do. I, I, I'm glad you still have the tissue in your hand because this one may make you cry as well. Oh, we, no. recently, we recently lost Nichelle Nichols. Oh, no. Do you have a Nichelle story you can share? I do, I do. I have a great Nichelle story. So Nichelle loved the vodka, right? She loved her vodka. And, you know, when she got older and her health deteriorated, she always used to have a carer with her when she traveled to conventions um, who would take care, you know, make sure she, I mean, you know, she was in her eighties last time I saw her for goodness sake. So anyway, I was off, we were at a convention and uh, I was off to the bar to get myself a drink. And uh, I said, Nichelle, I'm going to the bar. Um, can I get you a drink? And her, her care, no. And Nichelle said, vodka tonic, Marina. I went, so I went to the bar and I said to the barman, 
I want a tonic, tonic water, and I want you to just float a teaspoonful of vodka on the top so that when she drinks it, she can smell the vodka, but it's only a teaspoon. And she loved me for it. <laughs> I was her favorite person. <laughs> Did you tell her assistant? Did you tell her assistant what you were doing? I did. I explained, I explained to the assistant what was going on. I have a similar story with Whitey Ford, who was the American New York Yankees pitcher. I, I, I had to escort him to an event, and I was told he gets X amount of drinks. Uh, Bloody Mary's was his drink uh, before he does anything. So I made the first one very strong in the limousine. And then when we got to the venue, which was actually a bar uh, in Manhattan, they had to make it very weak. Right. Uh, but with just a splash pretty much on top. And so he was sober and happy, but thought he had his three or four exactly. Bloody exactly. Marys. You know, I, I'm, you know, I'm not a drinker. I'm, I've never really liked the taste of alcohol. So that's not my, um, my, my vice, but uh, I do understand people love a glass of, of wine or a, or a vodka or a whiskey. And, you know, it's like my, when my father-in-law, I mean, I, I had my father-in-law live with us for six years when he was in his eighties. And then um, we were going to remodel the house. And so he went to live with his other son in Georgia and we would go and visit him. And, you know, they would, they would, they would he'd have a cigarette and he'd have a whiskey and, you know, Joseph, you shouldn't be doing that. And I was like, oh, Jesus, he's 86 years old. What's it going to kill him? Let him have a drink, let him right. have a fag, for God's sake. What's he going to do, die of lung cancer at 86? You know, come on. So I'm a little bit less, I don't know, sensible when it comes to those things. Right, well, that's, that's my whole theory with like George Burns. The man lived to 100 years old. If he didn't smoke cigars and have his cognac, would he have lived to 101? <laughs> right? Exactly, exactly. So I was like, let him have it. You know, that's all he's got for goodness sake. I realized by having Joseph live with us, that when you get to that age, there are only two important things in your life. What's on TV and what's for dinner. That's Pretty it. much. Yeah. All right. How much satisfaction do you take in knowing that Star Trek, that you and that Deanna inspired so many young people to become counselors and therapists and that that will carry on long after you and I are long gone? I know. You know, I, this is part of the thing that kind of bemuses me about playing Deanna Troy. You know, I'm an actress. This was just a great job, you know. So, I mean, I, you know, we all, we, were, we did a job that we were getting paid to do something that we love doing, right? Which is not common on this earth, um, but it is our job. Uh, I do feel on a certain level that we have to stop aggrandizing actors. You know, we're doing a job, but we're blessed because we're doing something that we love. That's what makes us different. Not that the fact that we're working, and the fact that sometimes we get paid stupid amounts of money. I mean, I never have, I have to be honest, but right. you know, there are people out there who get stupid money, you know. Um, it's like footballers over here, stupid money. Anyway, um, I, I just, I, I just think that, uh, I feel, oh, how can I put this? I feel humbled, I know it sounds corny, but I really do feel humbled um, to have impacted people's lives. You know, I thought the most that I would do as an actor would be, you know, 
give a performance that would make someone cry or do a comedy and make someone laugh. And that would, you know, they take that away from the theater or the movie theater with them or, you know, their TV screen. I never ever imagined that I would be involved with something that actually impacted people's lives, like forever. And if I was a bit more um, self-examining. <laughs> <laughs> if the therapist saw a therapist, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would probably freak me out. But as, I, as I'm not a self-examining person, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm kind of, I, I, like I said, I'm okay with it, but it does, it does kind of bemuse me a little, yeah. And then how freaky is it and cool and flattering is when you go to a convention and you see fans, in some cases, girls, women, and in some cases, guys, cosplaying Deanna Troy. That's well, gotta be a know, mind trip. I, well, I've made, I've made jokes about this before. Um, I, I used to say, you know, I made jokes about it, but now it's, well, Deanna's an icon now. And you know how I know that? The drag queens are doing Deanna. That's where I was going. I mean, I'm not A-list drag queens. Sorry, drag queens that are doing Deanna. But you know, A-list is like Barbara, um, Liza, um, Bette Midler. You know, they're not the mega, mega stars. I'm not on that list, but I'm B-list. I'm B-list icon for sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right, are you ready for the speed round? Uh-oh. Yes. I'm going to throw you quick questions. You're going to give me quick answers. Don't go into detail, just right. the answer. Right. What, what's your favorite color? Yellow. You played a counselor. How long were you in therapy yourself? 10 years. What's your drink of choice if you ever do have one? Uh, lemon drop martini. How long is a piece of string? <laughs> what's still on your bucket list? Um, ah! Oh, I know, exactly, I know, got it. But my Tottenham to win the league in my lifetime. What's your, what's, what's your guilty pleasure? Uh, chocolate, have to say. I know, it's Deanna. Still, yeah. still. What's your favorite flower? Carnation. All right, let's do show and tell. What oh, do you got right. for me? Do you have anything fun? I do. Actually, I've got this folder here, and for some reason, it's got tooth marks in it, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure what happened. I'm not sure what <laughs> happened there. And it's not dog, it's not an animal that looks like my mouth. Anyway, okay, so what I have here is the script for All Good Things. Ooh, the finale. The very final episode. And there are some really cool messages on here. Uh, Patrick, marry me. <laughs> I, think, I don't know if he was single at the time. I'm not sure. Uh, um, I've, got, I've got a lovely one from Will, White, Will, Will Wheaton. Marina, it's very rare you find a person you love and who loves you unconditionally. I'm blessed. And that's from Will Wheaton and that's made me cry. And then from my Imzadi or Zimbabwe, as we call each other, um, you're the best leading lady I've ever had. And who else have I got here? Okay, I would read Brent's and Gates's, but I can't read the writing, so. <laughs> can you hold it up to the camera so we can just see it? Very cool. Right, 
And then the other thing, oh, all my call sheets are falling out. And the other Wait. thing is. Ah, let's talk about that. How big an honor was that? Oh, oh my God. I mean, I, I still can't get my head around it. Like I'm a stamp in the UK. Um, I actually, when, when I heard about it, I was so overwhelmed. I mean, literally it was like one of the most, probably the most amazing thing that's ever happened in my life as far as an honor goes, right? Um, and so I sent the Royal Mail, I sent them an email thanking them because they sent me a bunch of stamps. And so I sent, an, uh, I sent them a, a, an email back thanking them and saying, I you know, growing up in, growing up in Tottenham, <laughs> Um, this is where the riots started for people who don't know what, but, you know, most of London is gentrified now. Tottenham isn't, right? It's like, it's still a really working class, quite poor neighborhood. Um, I, that's where I grew up. I mean, people say, you know, grow up on the wrong side of the tracks. There were no tracks in Tottenham. You know, it was, you know, my escape from poverty was education, right? I, um, I knew, and oh, fortunately I had a brain, um, there, was a, there was a way for, for a poor working class girl to get a very good education in England and possibly go to Oxbridge. Um, so that was you know, kind of the route I was on. So to think that that little girl is on a stamp. So I wrote back and I said, you know, what an honor it was. And I never in my wildest dreams imagined that this could ever happen. And then the one most wonderful thing, and they sent me an email back, and I made cry again. And they said, the honor was all ours. Wow, that's lovely. You know, people are gonna watch this and they're gonna go, Jesus Christ, she never stops crying. It's, you know what, honestly, it's a good way to get to know you better, right? That's the kind of the point of this is we're, we're boldly asking you to be you. More or less, okay. right? All right. Well, that'll, that'll be a lot of people turning off their TV sets. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, the stamp is an honor. Show it, it one honor. more time. How okay, cool here. is it? To... There, there. Can you see it without the light shining on it? There a little it bit. Very, 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 very cool. So I know you have some interesting mottos, Marina. Why don't, why don't you give us a few? Well, the, well, I've had two. I have two mottos that I live my life by. And the first one, which... I probably don't even have to tell people is evil triumphs when good men stay silent. The other one, which I live in my day-to-day -day life is bitches get shit done. So they're the two and uh, they're both true. How hard is it to have the bitches get things done in this era right now where that can also be a questionable word to use? Uh, well, I think if you call yourself something, that's allowed. I'm not calling anyone else that word. I'm calling myself that word. Um, so I, I just think, you know, if you're talking about your, if you're being self-deprecating, then why do people have a problem with it? I don't know. I don't understand. And, you know, it just, it's just a way of saying, it's just the, well, I don't know, some people might not find it funny. I think it's a funny way of saying something about strong women. All right, yeah. I want to show you a trailer from a recent movie of yours. Uh, and talk about this one, because this seems like a really interesting movie. You're number one oh! on the 
Number yeah. one on the call sheet, that's got to be exciting for you. So, well, first of all, I should not have been number one on the call sheet because Rebecca was the star of the movie, the lovely girl that you're looking at, a woman, I should say, you're looking at there. Um, she is one of the most extraordinary actresses I've ever worked with. Um, I don't think I've ever said this to an actor before, but when we finished, I actually told her what a privilege it was to work with her. Um, and it was, because she was awe-inspiring. She's so talented. Um, I think it's an important movie. Um, there's a thing um, that isn't called this in America, but in England, it's called control and coercion. So we have laws against this in the UK. Um, where you can prosecute a man, or someone doesn't always have to be a man, obviously, but you could, it's usually men, though, let's be honest, um, that you can prosecute someone for um, things other than being beaten, right? Do you know what I mean? It's like in, in America, you'll, you know, you can have someone arrested if they beat you. In England, you can have them, um, you, can, they can, you can take them to court for stalking you or controlling you, controlling your finances, all those things that are elements of control in women, in women's relationship, um, this is what this movie is about, and uh, I think we just need to shine a light on what's going on. You know, um, I, I, I've decided that I only really want to do stuff that means something from now on. Right. And that movie, A Thousand Little Cuts, is actually, I believe, available now on, on video on demand, right? It had I a think, premiere in the UK, and now yeah. it's on video in demand. Yeah. And I think it might be on Showtime in America at some point. Oh, really? Okay, very cool. So what kind of projects make you tick now? What do you want to do? Well, actually, I have something. Finally, I have something to talk about. Um, next year, I'm going to do Hecuba. Really? I'm going to do a Greek play in a Greek theater and as a Greek actress. I think that is the perfect introduction back to England for me. Wow, how did that come about? Well, I've always wanted to do the Greeks, the Greek classics. Um, they're not done very often. Um, my idea, you know, Medea was always number one on my bucket list of parts to play. And so that was where immediately my head went. And then I just thought, you know what? I need to think about this because I'm really not right for Medea. And I'm not gonna do an Ian McKellen and play Hamlet when I'm in my eighties, right? I want to be true to the character. Um, Medea has young children. I am way too old to have one, young children. And also I've never been a mother. And I think that to truly give her justice, you have to have that in you, that mother thing in you, the mother, you know, that you have to have given, I'm oh, not given birth, but you can adopt, but that I've never been, I've only been a mother to dogs. I've never been, you know, to animals. I've never been a mother to a human. And I think that's very different. So I think that, that, that decision that she makes where she kills her children to punish her husband, I didn't think emotionally I could be authentic with that. And so I decided, well, let's find something else. And I don't know why it kept, I did, I know the play Hamlet really well. Um, I studied it for four years in high school and then I, you know, then I was in it. Um, when the players come into Hamlet and he's, and he's watching them, he says, 
who is Hecuba to him and who is he to Hecuba? And it always stuck in my mind. And I went, Hecuba, I'm definitely the right age to play Hecuba. Um, and I went, okay, that's what I'll do. I'll play Hecuba. And I, and I got in touch with this theatre. Of course, it's called the Theatre Beckness in London, in North London, and um, suggested it to them. And they liked the idea, so it'll be next spring. Are you gonna be one of the producers on it? It sounds like you're very actively involved. You know what, I, I'm not, in, you know what, people have always said that to me, you know, do you want to direct, do you want to produce? I really don't, I just want to act. I just want to act, that's it, you know. It's a lot of work. I mean, I, mean, I will help with the fundraising because it's what we call a fringe theater or you know, an off-Broadway kind of theater in, in, in New York. So they don't have a lot of money. So I will do everything I can to help fundraise to put this on. Um, so yeah, in that way, I'll be much more involved than I normally am. Let me ask you the big, deep question. If you had it all to do again in your life, what would you do differently, if anything? I think I would have come back to England sooner. Because? Because I should have capitalized on the success of Star Trek here. If I wanted to have a career here, I should have come back sooner. It was a mistake to stay away for so long. Is there any charity that you want to shout out to and get people to consider giving to? Okay, um, well, anything to do with animals, anything to do with animals. Um, I personally, uh, in America, gave to the SPCA. In the UK, it's the RSPCA. I give money to, uh, to a charity called the Wood Green um, Animal Rescue because I used to live near Wood Green. I also give money to the PDSA over here because um, they, they treat animals to, for people who can't afford a vet. Um, so they give them free treatment for their animals. And so anything to do with animals, and, I, and it's not that I don't care about children or anything, you know, it's not I don't care about diseases or anything else. It's just that animals are really the only ones who can't speak for themselves. Marina, thank you so much for your time. I hope I actually asked you a few questions that you either have never been asked or have rarely been asked. Mission accomplished, I hope. Ian, it was brilliant. It was, in fact, I can't believe that that was an hour. So um, that was fantastic. Good deal. You're so, you know, you're so good at this. You're so good at this. You're, you, you know, you're a master. What keep it coming, keep it, keep it. We gotta kill a few <laughs> more minutes. Keep going, keep going. <laughs> As always, it was wonderful chatting with you. Thank you so much. As always, peace and love. Bye. Cheers. Hi there. This is Chief Master Sergeant Walter Harriman, your favorite gatekeeper. Have you ever wondered what it takes to become a certified Stargate technician? Well, now you can find out because I'm going to share my knowledge and experience with a select group of aspiring and enthusiastic gators. I want to give you a chance to be a hero too. That's why I'm happy to announce that on March 11th, I'll be taking a small number of students for my class, Gate Tech 101. Tickets are on sale now at thecompanion.app slash events. You won't want to miss this because it's not just a Stargate Master class. It's a Stargate Chief Master Sergeant class. See you there. But for now, Chevron 7 is locked. <laughs>